Everybody good? No? Everybody bad? <clears throat> I forgot to give you guys all the the disclaimer, the warning. You know, uh, we come to retreat. We come to hear from the Lord. You know, last night when we started, I said, we want to have that heart, right, that, that uh, Eli taught Samuel. When Samuel kept asking him, why do you keep calling my name? And finally, Eli said, you know, it might be the Lord talking to you. So next time you hear it, say this phrase, right? Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Now, as soon as we say that, there's a real enemy, guys. And the real enemy didn't just take a break and say, oh, those guys are going up, have time on the mountain. I'm just going to leave them be. So your rooms will be cold. The guy next to you will snore. You'll be uncomfortable. You'll sleep two hours, wake up. You have all this problem. If you thought retreat was the same or advance was the same as vacation, that's not the same thing. The reason we call it an advance is because you're going to battle. And you're going to battle against a true enemy who wants you discouraged and wants to get your mind off of all the things God's trying to lay on your heart. So my warning and challenge for you is don't let him do that. Every possible annoyance is going to happen to you. <laughs> the next, the rest of today, you, you sneak away, you find a quiet place, finally be comfortable, take a nap. Some dude will come running through screaming and wake you up. I don't know what it will be. But don't let it distract you from what God's trying to tell you. Don't let it distract you from the message that God's put on our hearts. Um, this last weekend, I got a chance to go hang out with uh, Papix, Bob, and Christine. I was up at their house, and we had a great time of prayer that last night we were there. And I went to bed a little bit earlier than everybody else. And I had the uh, weirdest experience I've ever had. And I feel stupid telling you guys because at the end you're going to say, well, what did he tell us that for? But I'm going to tell you anyway. So we're, I'm, I'm, I'm go, trying to go to sleep. I'm pretty tired. You guys all know, have you guys ever like, uh, you lay down to go to sleep and you, and you fall asleep and you wake up later and you realize I, I, I fell asleep? Well, that's not what happened. It was like, the only way I can express is like, if my life was a timeline, I laid down on a pillow and it's like, God cut a chunk out of it, and it's just gone. No memory of falling asleep, no memory of waking up. It just was, I, I told Kathy it was like I died and came alive again. And it was powerful, and I felt like God had spoke to me, that God had, had told me something, but I don't have any idea what God said. I don't have any idea what happened. All I know is when I, when I woke up and when I was laying on the bed, I said that phrase. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. And I needed a little bit of respite, a little chunk of peace. And so for how, I have no idea how long it was. God just cut it out. And maybe one day I'll know, you know, it's almost like, you know, although I have no memory, it's almost like I was in his presence and I was back and he took all the memory of the experience away. What he left me with was this gap where I'm like, oh, whoa, that's weird. What just happened? And so that's where that scripture that I shared with you guys yesterday just was resonating with me, man. I want to I wanna be able to receive from you. And I, 
the Lord always challenges us in what we're teaching and, and what we're studying. And we're going through Hebrews and Buell. And one of the things I talked about last week was a concept that if Jesus Christ is our treasure, if he is, if he is what we are tied to, right? Like as Mike shared, he's our belay or Is that right? Oh, I'll mess it up. <coughs> I'm the belay i I'm the one hanging. He's the one saying, I got you. I got you. And, you know, but if he's it, if he's the reason and the purpose and the, and the motivation for the things I do, then when all this stuff happens, the wind blows, the waves rise, the chaos comes, it doesn't take your feet out from under you. It doesn't knock you down. It may still suck. I was talking about that with Don. It may still suck. But at the end, the reality is Jesus is still the prize. The prize wasn't the other stuff. And so, you know, when you teach that, then God's going to challenge you with it. Oh, you're going to tell everybody else that. Here comes a wave. What are you going to do? Here comes another one. And recognizing that just what Mike was telling us and having graceful steps, being tied off to Jesus Christ, that's the ultimate peace, right? That's the a, that's a picture. We're holding to him. We're going to cling to him. And as we were preparing for coming up for this weekend, you know, the Lord just had laid on our hearts, Galatians 5, what is it, 24, 25? Where it says that if a man's going to walk in the Spirit, he needs to be in step with the Spirit. And I love the picture Mike gave yesterday about marching, because I was in the Marine Corps. And marching doesn't just mean we're all walking to the same place. It means 30-inch step with your left foot, aye, aye. That's what it means. It means all everything you do is in unison together because we are all baptized into one body by one spirit in one Lord, right? And one God has one purpose for his church to affect the culture and the world. Now, we may do a lot of different things, but when we're together, if we're in the spirit, then we're in step. We're together because we're tied to Jesus, right? And if we're walking like Jesus, then the way we're walking looks the same. Right? We might look different on the outside, but the work that God's doing in our hearts and lives, that's the same. And we want to be able to cling to and hold fast to those things. So I love what Mike brought to us. I love that idea of <coughs> finding balance when, in prayer and studying the Word. And, and that that does, that balance is grace. It's grace. I watch dudes climb crazy, crazy cliff faces. I know Mike's done it. I seen them set up a tent hanging from an overhang. You guys seen that? Where they're sleeping, hanging, hanging off a rope. That's what he's talking about. When those guys are leaping and jumping and grabbing things, climbing their way up that cliff face, there's no better way. If I do it, trust me, it looks like a flailing maniac, and I better have somebody on belay because I'm coming down. But those guys who know what they're doing, it's graceful, right? You see that grace. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about righteous steps. Because not only does God call us in His grace, and as we're going to see, not only does God call us to be empowered by His Spirit, and not only does God call us to, to be with one another and existing together in love, but He does call us to righteousness. And a lot of times that's an area that we want to neglect. We want to forget about. We want to give ourselves a pass sometimes. 
But when we, when we consider that idea, God is calling us to righteousness, I always go to Romans chapter 6. You guys know how Romans 6 starts, right? So shall I sin that grace would abound? What's the scripture say? Certainly not. How can we who have died to sin do what? Live any longer in it. We're, we're, we're belayed. We're tied off to Jesus, right? We're following Him. We're walking in that grace. We're, we're learning and gleaning from Him. Well, I can promise you there's things that Jesus is not giving us an example of, right? And so the call from God is that we would walk in righteousness. There's a couple of places I'm going to share with you guys, and some of it may be a little bit radical, so I hope you can hang on with me, but there's two places in Scripture where I really see this anointing of what it is to walk in righteousness. And the first one's going to be in Genesis 15. You guys all know Abraham. You probably all know the story. If you want to go over there with me, we'll be there for a while. But in Genesis chapter 15, starting at verse 1, it's at the end. Abraham's already had the rescue of Lot. Everybody familiar with that? Lot was kidnapped by the five armies. Abraham went and rescued him, brought him back. He's already been called. When he was 75 years old, God called him. God came to him. You know, we don't exactly know how. <clears throat> I tell you this. Uh, well, I don't really want to get a side note. But you guys know how many times the scripture says the word of the Lord came to someone? The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the prophet. Or the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. You guys with me? And most of the time when we think about that, we think about it like a thought entered their mind. Now, pause on that for a minute. Who's the Bible say the word is? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So maybe when the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, it was Jesus standing in front of Jeremiah saying, here's the Word of the Lord. You get what I'm saying? But anyways, we have this time. Abraham's been called by God. I don't know how it looked. I like to think Jesus came to to Abraham, and he, and he said, Abraham, go to a place that I'll show you. And he was willing to go, not knowing where he went. We know he was 75 years old when that happened, right? Then he goes away, divides his flocks, Lot and him have a breakup. Lot gets kidnapped, he's living over at Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes and rescues Lot. All this stuff is going on, yet all these things that God has promised him haven't been fulfilled yet. And in Genesis 15, God comes to him again. Has a, has a conversation with him. Look, Genesis 15... I'm reading now the ESV, sorry, but you guys can follow along. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Listen to how it says it. In a vision. Most of the time when I say, the word of the Lord came, I think of hearing. But how does it describe it in the Bible? Seeing. You with me? Are you tracking? The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. I don't have any kids. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. just want you guys to personalize the word, man. Think about... Jesus standing before Abram and telling him, I'm your shield and I'm your reward. Now what's Abram really want? What's he really want? He says what he really wants. What's he say he wants? I don't have no kids. 
His treasure's right in front of him. And he says to him, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. But Abram says, I don't have no kids. And then the next phrase is the word of the Lord came to him. Now, just put yourself in the story. Don't, don't, don't stay outside of it. Allow yourself to stand there and see the Lord saying, I'm your reward and I'm your shield. And, and Abram being bummed. Oh, God, I just want kids so bad. I just want kids. And this is the word of the Lord came to him. I just picture that as Jesus coming up and putting his hand on him. Comforting him. Comforting him. Laying his hand on him saying, look, man, I want you to hear this. The word of the Lord came. This man won't be your heir. God's got bigger plans for you, Abram. God's got a bigger promise for you. He says, he brought him outside. The word of the Lord, stay with me, guys, came to him. He's touching him. He's talking to him. He, said, he brings him outside, and he shows him the stars of the heavens. And he says, that's how your kids are going to be. And the Bible says, Abram believed God. And what happened? It was accounted to him as righteousness. Scripture tells us that he who, he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice, that I might become what? The righteousness of God. How do we, how do we have righteousness ever? It's a gift. You don't get it. You with me? He gives it. How did, how did Abram get righteousness? He believed God. How do you get it? You believe God. Do you believe God? Do you believe the word of God? Because a lot of people in the world today really don't. There are, there are pastors all, <clears throat> all over who are <clears throat> rejecting the word of God. Rob Bell just did it. You don't need a Bible. You don't know who Rob Bell is. It's good. Don't look him up. Don't read him. Run. Stay away. But he's a, a pastor who has rejected the Word of God. Then what do you have without that? What do you have without... Because rejecting the Word of God... Who's the Word of God? We talked about this, right? In the beginning was a Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? That's Jesus, right? So if I reject the Word of God, who am I rejecting? Is there salvation in any other name? There's only, there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved, right? So we don't want to be rejecting it. So I just want to hold to the, that, that idea. What did Abraham do? He believed God. Did he have a child? No, he didn't have one yet. He had a promise, right? He had a promise. And standing in front of him was his treasure... Isn't that what Jesus said? I'm your shield, I'm your treasure. It's just like Mike told us before. I'm, I got you. What's the point of saying, I'm your shield? I got you. I got your back. Mike, uh, uh, Bob was sharing with us this morning. He said uh, to, to a couple of us, he had a word from the Lord, right? He said, God's saying, I got your back. So what's God saying? I'm on belay. Climb on. Right? Keep going. I'm here. Well, what would he say to Abram? I'm your shield. I'm your protector, I got your back, and I'm your reward. And that's something, men, we really got to focus on. We got to focus on, is your reward, your job, your family, your wife, your car, your truck, your whatever thing you might put in it, or is your reward Jesus Christ? 
Because I'm going to challenge you that that's what God wants for us. Jesus Christ is our reward. He's our treasure. He's the thing. He's everything. So we see in righteous steps. What's our first steps? I want to believe God's word. That's exactly what just happened, right? The word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram believed God and it was accounted to him. It was gifted to him righteousness. What's that simply mean? All it means is, Abram, you're right with me. Abram, you're right with God because you believed what I said. And the church needs to realize that the ultimate authority for the church, men need to realize that the ultimate, ultimate authority for men is not our own reasoning or our own abilities. The ultimate authority for us is the Word of God. And do you believe it? Because the promises in the Word of God are no different to you and I than they were for Abram. The Bible says all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. That means they all find their fulfillment in Him. They're all applied to us. We can all hold to the truth of God's Word. But people struggle, right? Because it's going to come into direct uh, battle with culture. Oh, that thing's 2,000 years old. I always want to say it's older than that. The Word of God is eternal. It's not new. It's been around since before time. And it was true then. And it's true today. Because ultimately, what I have declared to God is, You're my Lord. You're my Sovereign. You're my King. We sang those songs, right? You're my King. What does that mean when we say, You're my King? I always picture it as my knee is on the ground. And I hear the words that Jesus spoke in Gatshmone in Gethsemane. What do he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Is that how you feel? Until he actually does something we don't like, right? Until we do but, but keep in mind, I just want you to keep the picture. The word of the Lord came to Abram, touched him, took him outside, comforted him, but told him, I'm your treasure. I'm the treasure that you need. So let's go. He trusted the Word of God. And that's where we really got to kick off with righteous steps. Do we trust the Word of God? Are we holding fast to the Word of God? Go to Hebrews 11.6 and we'll, and we'll pick up. Hebrews 11 is a hall of faith. And uh, <clears throat> as we look at Hebrews 11, we're going to get to see some more pieces of the life of Abram a little quicker than if I went all the way through Genesis. So he says in 11.6, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Who? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever will draw near to God must, one, believe He exists, and two, believe He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, we talked about it. What's the reward? Jesus. Jesus is the reward, guys. Doesn't mean God won't bless you. Doesn't mean He won't give you family. Doesn't mean God won't give you stuff. What's the reward? Jesus. What's He say? He says the only way that you can please God is to what? Believe Him. Believe Him. The word of the God. The word of God came to Abram, and Abram believed God. He believed Him. He didn't have a kid. He just believed Him. He just believed Him. Hebrews. Go down to verse eight, and we'll get to see some more. Not only did he believe Him, but where did that belief take him? 
How do I know he believed him? Because he obeyed him. How do I know he believed him? Because, look, saying the words is the easy part. You guys get that? It's easy to say the words. It's easy to stand up before a a preacher holding the hand of your betrothed, of your wife, and declare before everyone, I promise I'm going to be with you forever. It's you and me till the wheels fall off. Till death do us part. Well, you got the easy part over with. Now, how do I know the truth of the words? You do it. If you don't do it, let me just be clear. The words are a lie. Now, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to lay nothing heavy, so don't make it heavier than it is. I just want you to get the point. The words are easy. The doing, is that different? So is it easy to say, I believe in you, Jesus. Is that easy? Can I tell you how many guys I've seen do that in my life? And their life never changed and nothing ever was different in their life. And ultimately, I think they just took the the fast track straight to hell. Because the words don't save you. The Bible says you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. What's the other part? Believe in your heart. Oh. Confess with your lips. Believe in your heart. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But that's insincerity, no? Or is it just everybody who says the words? So we say the words, the easy part. How do I know it's true? How do I know when, it, when the Bible says, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness? How do I know? How do I know it's true? Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And when he left, when he went out, he did not know where he was going. And you ever feel like that? Like life is, I'm, I'm going, but I have no idea where I'm going? Uh, how will I know when I get there if I don't know where I'm going? It's like a reliance, right? Like a, just a solid reliance on the Lord. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for a heavenly home, not an earthly abode. Heavenly home, eternal. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who promised. What does it say? It says, Sarah had a child. How do I know that Sarah had faith? Because she had a child. She believed that God, the Word of God, was faithful to fulfill His promise. And she gave birth. She had a son. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens. You see the fulfillment of the promise? As many as the stars in the heavens. As innumerable as grains of sand by the sand shore, or the seashore. And these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. He didn't see the fulfillment of it all until he went home, right? 
until he, until he died, until he stood before his Savior. But he believed them. He saw them afar off. He saw them, that they were coming. <clears throat> and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for the people who speak thus make it clear, they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That's a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I love that. I love that every time God shows up, He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, what's the other one? Jacob. Not perfect, guys. What set them apart? They believed God. They believed His Word. And I know that because they obeyed it. Were they perfect? No. Right? We're not ta- I'm not talking about perfect guys. I'm talking about guys who say, I believe and I'm following you where you go. I believe and I'm following you. Now, at one time in Abram's life, right, his child was his treasure. How do I know that didn't stay that way? Because one day God came to him, right? Genesis 22. And the Lord said, Abram, take your son, the son whom you love. Take him to a mountain that I will show you, and there offer him as a burnt offering to me. And the Bible says Abram got up, took his son, and went. And every intention in in Abraham's heart was to sacrifice his son, right? And what was he doing for us? He's providing an illustration. An illustration how? That one day a father would really offer his son for the sin of the world. Yeah? And what did God say to Abraham? Abraham, lift up the knife. And the angel said, stop! For now I know you love me. And in reality, God always knew that. Who really knows it now? Abraham, right? What's he saying to himself? My treasure is Jesus. My treasure is the Lord. My treasure is my God. So the first part of righteous steps, believing the Word of God, and the, and the a little A under the outline, obeying Him. Believing Him, obeying Him. Believing Him, obeying Him. The word's the easy part, right? Do. Do. Did the do make you saved? Did it say he was, he was declared righteous because he did something? Why was he declared righteous? Because he believed. How do we know he believed? He believed. He walked. How long was it from the promise to the fulfillment? Do you guys know? 25 years. That's a long time, right? That's a long time. But Abram and Abraham, the, the Spirit enters into to Abram, the Ruach, the breath. And so God adds the to Abram, and he becomes what? Abraham. Sarai, the, the breath enters into Sarai, the Ruach, the Spirit. And Sarai becomes what? Sarah, the breath, the Spirit. They believed God. He counted it to righteousness. So, 
Our first part, we want to be able to walk with God in this way. Now the second part, there's one other scripture, maybe a little bit surprising to you. It's not surprising to the guys who did school ministry with me. But there's another place in the Bible where the Bible declares someone righteous. Same, same words as Abram. Different circumstance. Let's look at it. Turn in your Bibles, Numbers chapter 25. You're going to love this story. <coughs> Numbers 25 says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. You guys got that, right? Who did he hang? All the chiefs. How come? All the people were sinning. They weren't taking care of it. Who's God hold responsible? Who's God hold responsible in the family? Wife? Mother? Grandma? Who's God hold responsible in the family? Man. Chief. The head. You may never take the head. But that doesn't matter to God, does it? far as he's concerned, you're the chief. Well, what's it say? Take all the chiefs, hang them in the sun. For the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, and why they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose, left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I give to him a covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God made atonement for the people of Israel. That's an interesting story, right? Why are you sharing that with me? Well, now turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verses 28 to 31. It's a rehearsal of the history of the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. It says in verse 28, They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and they sacrificed offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. And that was accounted to him as righteousness. Hear the phrase? 
Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And we see the fruit of that belief in the fact that Abraham walked. He followed God, right? He went where God said. Phineas, he is filled with a, a, a jealousy for God. We're going to define it in a minute. But he's filled with a jealousy for God. He reacts in that jealousy and God says to Phineas, it's accounted to you for righteousness. One guy believes, the other guy carries the spear and destroys the sin. And I want you to picture the sin. You have 24,000 carcasses laying on the ground. People who are dying God has declared to Moses and the rest of the children of Israel as a result of their sin. But they have been trading a covenant relationship with God for Baal of Peor. They are betrothed to God. But they're sleeping with another man. God said, so the people come before God and they get on their knees and they're weeping and they're crying because the people they care about have died and, and it's still continuing. People are still getting sick. And they're crying to God and they're saying, Oh Lord, we've, we've sinned, we've messed up. And in the midst of their weeping and their crying and their mourning, a man goes and does the exact thing that brought this judgment in the first place. He goes and takes a Midianite woman into his tent to lie with him. And it says, in the So while all the people are weeping over their sin, repenting, there's one guy who says, whatever, you guys do what you want. This girl's hot, and I'm taking her home. And the guy who took a spear into the tent and killed him, God said, Accounted to you for righteousness. That's not a trippy story to you. It ought to melt, melt your noodle a little bit. Like, wow, how's that? How's that work? Why is it that way? How does all this go together? Why this idea of jealousy? So let's understand it. You know that in Exodus 34, God says His name is jealous. For I, Yahweh, your God, am a you guys know it. Jealous God. What does that mean? What is God telling people? What is He laying out for him? Look, I want you to see it. He's, God is jealous for His honor because His honor is the greatest thing. His glory is the greatest thing in all the universe. It's hard for us to understand that, but maybe we can understand this. He is jealous for the faithfulness of those who have committed themselves to a covenant relationship with him. Okay, Jackie, I still don't get it. He's the husband for the bride. He expects us. And he loves us enough to care to redeem us. To bring us back. didn't care, he'd just say, you know what? Go. See ya. I'll find somebody who wants me. 
Hosea the prophet. What did God say to Hosea? Go marry a prostitute. How's that going to work out? Good or bad? Probably not good, right? Right? Okay, let me make it easy. Your son wants to marry a prostitute. What are you going to tell him? Good idea or bad idea? Yeah, hey, son, that's probably not good. Right? Well, God tells his prophet, go marry a prostitute. He goes and marries her, and what happens? She's unfaithful. Shocking? She leaves. Why? She's young, she's beautiful, and people will give her a lot of money. So she takes off. She, she is gone. She's out. She's left. And it's been a number of years. Because now, when the story picks up in Hosea 3, nobody wants her. She's not beautiful anymore. Life is shredded her. Look what God says, Hosea 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go again. Hosea, go again and love a woman who's loved by another man. She's an adulteress. He says, Hosea, go get your wife. Go get your wife. Even in the same way as, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turn to other gods in the cakes of raisins. Raisin cakes is a a biblical picture of an aphrodisiac. They're running, being unfaithful to other gods. So, listen to what Hosea did. I bought her for 15 shekels. And a homer of latex of barley. The price of a slave gored by an ox was 30 shekels of silver. How much did they pay for Jesus when he was betrayed? So it didn't matter to them very much, right? How about Hosea's wife? How about Gomer? What did they pay for her? 15 shekels. Is that a lot of money? No. Slave gored by an ox? How much is that worth to you? It's like, uh, hey, I got a truck with blown motor, broken transmission, and the rear end don't work. Paint job's bad, and it's got rust, cancer everywhere. How much you going to pay? Well, I bought it for like $35,000 once. Cool. Yeah, you pay me to take it, and I'll take it to the dump. So he goes and pays 15 shekels. He's not paying nothing because the world doesn't want her. Right? The world just uses her up and throws her out with the garbage. What would God say? Go get her. Go get her. Why? I'm jealous. I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days, and you will not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Hosea goes to her and says, look, it's all over. I want you back. sing a song like that, right? He is jealous. The idea that God cares. He cares that I am faithful in our covenant relationship. And when I behave faithfully in a covenant relationship with God, it's accounted to me as righteousness. That's what Phineas did. Phineas cared more about a betrayal 
Psalm 69, right? Zeal for the Lord has eaten me up, for the reproach that fell on you has fallen on me. You know that word zeal is the word kana in the Hebrew, Q-A-N-A-H? It means jealousy. It's translated zeal so that we get the idea, so it doesn't confuse us in the English, but the word means jealousy, that, that I am jealous for you, God. I want to honor you, God. I want to please you, God. Your my treasure, my exceedingly great reward. You're my shield. You're my king. You're my God. Now, do we have other examples of this in the scripture? Just, I'm going to just take you through a quick litany because I, I could go forever, but I won't. Um, we could we could go on. Let me give you one, young man. 16 years old, <clears throat> not really cared about in his family. All they ever really want him to do is the job nobody else wants to do. Anybody had to do that in their family? Like, I'm the one who's got to do what everybody else don't want to do. Nobody wants to deal with this, so I'm going to be the one dealing with it. But that was his kid. The job nobody wanted to do was take care of the sheep. So he's taking care of the sheep. In fact, when the prophet of the Lord visited his family, they didn't even care enough about him to say, Come, the prophet of the Lord is here. They left him in the field. Just stay there. Just stay there. Fifteen. So the prophet of the Lord comes and he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. You guys know the story, right? And he looks at them all and the prophet looks at, his, at the oldest son and he says, Oh, this guy's big, strong. Yeah, that, that must be the one, Lord. That's the one? What did God say? You remember? God say, No, that's not the one. You judge from the outside, but God sees the heart. What was special about that kid? He was jealous for God. How did the Bible say it? He's a man after God. You guys get the picture? He's a man. He's jealous for God. How do I know he's jealous for God? 16 years old. He's not even able to go to, to, to war with his family. But his, his parents say, go take some food to, to your brothers. So he takes the food and he's going. He's walking into the army. And what's going on when he walks in the army? The army's all quaking. They're all shaking. And over on a hill, just across the valley from where they're camped, is this big, fat, tall guy shouting down curses on God and the people of God. And he comes in and he's like, dude, why haven't you guys shut that dude up? Oh, David, you're too young. You don't know what's up. Ever heard that? Oh, come on. Now, we... That's not how things are done. David writing says, 
zeal for the Lord is burning in my bosom. And the reproaches of that uncircumcised Philistine as he's cursing my God, the reproaches for God landed on me. You know that the Bible says he ran for Goliath. Do you ever think about that? He's, they try to put him in armor. They try to do all that stuff. He's like, dude, this stuff, I just need a couple rocks. You dumb kid. You're going to go get killed by this guy. And David picks up these rocks and he goes, you uncircumcised Philistine, and he runs at him. There's not a single movie that does justice to what the Bible says. David runs to him, and when he gets close, he puts a rock in a sling, and he just goes, whack! And he runs over and picks up his sword and cuts off his head. Because he was jealous for God. Because God mattered to him. How he lived his life mattered to David because he wanted it to give honor to the God he loved. Man, I want it to I want it to bless you, God. I want to love you. I find myself more often like Gomer, and I'm thankful that you're jealous for me. But I want to be jealous for you. So what did the Bible call David? A man after God's own heart, right? That's the only the only story in the, in the scripture we have like that? There was a prophet of God. And he stood before the people of Israel and he said, How long are you going to go between two opinions? Either God is God or Baal is God. And today's the day we find out. I'm tired of you guys bouncing between these two gods. So you think this is a God? Let's deal with it right now. Get them priests out here. 400 against one. He said, get them priests out here. Build an altar. And he sat there mocking them. Come on, guys. Let's go. Get it built. Get the ox on it. Call to Baal. Let's see it burn. Don't you touch fire to it. You call on your God to bring fire from heaven and take that. And so they called all day into the night. But nothing happened. So what did Elijah do? He built an altar. He built, he put the sacrifice on the altar. He told guys to go get water, which was not simple. But they got to walk down and walk back up the side of the mountain. They bring seven jars. Was it seven jars? I think it was seven. Twelve? One for each of the tribes? Yeah. <coughs> That's why I have an assistant. So he pours water on top. Twelve jars of water, full, covered, soaking wet. And Elijah called out to God. And fire came from heaven and took it all. Woof. And Elijah looked at the people and said, now you knock it off. He's God. That's not God. Elijah was jealous for God. Wanted to honor God. He wanted to make sure that people knew, that's my God. I serve him. So what happens next in the story? He takes off running, right? He takes off running. He outruns the chariots. He's excited. He runs into who? Somebody knows. Jezebel. Bitter, angry woman. That'll take the wind right out of your sails, won't it? (coughs) Runs down into Jezebel. 
Jezebel says, look, Elijah, I don't care what you did, but this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. And Elijah said, that's it, I quit. Nobody's ever going to follow me. Nobody's ever going to hear the, the passion that I have. Nobody's going to d- d- want the zeal. So he runs until he can't run no more, falls down, barely alive. An angel comes and ministers to him, gives him some bread. He wakes up and runs until he finds himself in a cave. And in a pity party, he cries out to God and says, God, I'm the only one jealous for you. Remember what God said? I have 7,000 who will not bow the knee to Baal. I, I always have more than just you. So what did he tell him to do? In the cave, he said, I want you to go anoint the one who's going to take play, who's going to be my prophet after you. You're going to go anoint three. He anoints three uh, tools in the hands of God. And God's going to work among the people. Elijah was jealous, for, was jealous for God. What else? Any other stories? Any other jealous attitudes that we see? How about Jesus coming into his father's house? What did he say about it? My father's house should be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. What do you do? And it's 69, Psalm 69.10. The same psalm David wrote about taking on Goliath is quoted about Jesus. What does it say? The zeal for the Lord is burning me up. And the reproaches that fell on you fell on me. And he overturned the tables. Somewhere the Bible says Jesus is our example, no? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us all these stories that happened before happened as examples for us to tell us how to walk. How to be in step with the Spirit. Yeah? We've got to believe God. Believe His Word. We want to follow it. Obey it. We want to have that zeal, right? That jealousy for God. That jealousy that says, I care more about how this looks to God than how it looks to you. See, that's why I used to be quiet. That's why I I didn't like (coughs) street preachers who get up on a box and preach. You may have your own opinion about it. But you know what I can say about most of those guys? Zeal for the Lord. Not how everybody thinks about them. Sometimes I have people tell me, we have a guy who stands outside of Planned Parenthood, and, I, and, and there was a, another brother who, who thought that was a really bad idea, and it's a, it's a poor witness. I'll tell you who it's not a poor witness to. God. Because God says, you love me. That's why you're there. You're sure not there because everybody loves you that drives by. You're definitely not there because everybody thinks you're great. No, you're there because you're jealous for me. You're zealous for me. So if we're going to walk with righteous steps, men, we've got to believe God's Word, obey God's Word, But then we have to say, I'm going to be faithful in my relationship, my covenant relationship. Because the Bible pictures it as a marriage, right? I'm going to be faithful. No other gods before you. No other kings before you. No other sovereign before you. You are my 
God and King. Finally, in 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Jealous for my brothers. So I want to see us all not just start well, but what else? Finish well. I want to see us finish the race that's laid out before us, right? Isn't that what Paul said? Finish the race. Come on, let's go. Let's make it. Don't let all these other distractions stop you. Don't Something shiny and your head turns and off you go. Don't be that guy. Be that guy whose heart is full of zeal with the Lord. I'm going to close right now. I'm going to read Ezekiel chapter 16 to you. And I just, I just want you to hear it. If you can just listen. If you've got to follow along, follow along. Whatever works for you. <coughs> but I want you to hear God's heart to the children of Israel through Ezekiel 16. But I want you also to hear it as God calling you. Yeah, he's talking to the children of Israel and where they're at. But I know this is where some of us are. You guys tracking with me? So I just want you to hear the words. Ezekiel 16. Again, the, war, the word of the Lord came to me. I hope, hope you don't see that the same way anymore. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. And as for your nativity, on the, ba- on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water or cleansed. You were not rubbed with salt. Nobody wrapped you in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things or have compassion on you. You were just thrown into an empty field world don't care about you. You're just thrown into an empty field. When you yourself were loathed or hated on the day that you were born, but I passed by and I saw you. I saw you struggling there in the open field in your own blood. And I said to you in your own blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you. And I covered your nakedness. And I swore an oath to you. I entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. Then I washed you in water. I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil, and I clothed you in embroidered cloth, and I gave you sandals of badger skin, and I I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry, fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. 
Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed upon you, said the Lord. But you trusted in your own beauty, and you played the harlot because of your fame, because of your garments, and adorned multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen, nor be. You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I gave to you and made for yourself male images and played the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments and covered them. You set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food which I gave you, the pastry, the fine flour, the oil and honey which I fed you, you set it before them like an incense. And so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me and these you sacrificed to those gods to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? That you have slain my children and offered them up? Them by causing them to pass through the fire? And in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and struggling in your own blood. Then it was so, after all your wickedness. Woe, woe to you, says the Lord. You also built for yourself a shrine. You made a high place for yourself in every street. You built your high places at the head of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by. You multiplied your acts of harlotry. You also committed harlotry with Egyptians, your very fleshly neighbors, and increased your acts of harlotry to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you. I diminished your allotment and gave you up on the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor, Chaldea, And even then you were not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. You erected your shrine at the head of every road and built your high place in every street. Yet you were not like a harlot because you scorned payment. You are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men... Make payment to all harlots, but you made your payments to the lovers and hired them to come to you from all around for your harlotry. You are the opposite of other women in harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot. You gave payment, but no payment was given you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered and your harlotry with your lovers, 
and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave them. Surely, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved, and all those you hated. I will gather them from all around against you and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. I will judge you as a woman who breaks wedlock or shed blood (coughs) are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will give you into their hand that they will throw down their shrines and break down their high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take your jewelry, leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring up an assembly against you. They shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with swords. They shall burn your house with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. And I will make you cease playing the harlot. And you will no longer hire lovers. So I will lay to rest my fury toward you. My jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and be angry no more. Because you did not remember the days of your youth. You agitated me with all these things. Surely I will recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God. And with all these things, I will use this proverb against you. Like mother, like daughter. You are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children. You are the sister of your sisters, who loathe their husbands and children, your mother a Hittite, your father an Amorite. Your elder sister is Samaria, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who dwells to the south, is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done like you and your daughters have done. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, the abundance of idleness, and they did not strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty. They committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. Samaria did not commit half of your sins, But you have multiplied your abominations more than they, and have justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have done. You who judge your sisters, bear your own shame also. Because of the sins which you committed, they were more abominable than theirs. They are more righteous than you. So be disgraced also, and bear your own shame, because you justified your sisters. And when I bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom and her daughters, the captives of Samaria and her daughters, then I will also bring back the captives of your captivity among them. You may bear your own shame, be disgraced by all that you did when you comforted them. When your sisters, Sodom and her sisters, returned to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters returned to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state. For your sister Sodom was not a byword in your mouth in the days of your pride before your wickedness was uncovered. It was like the time of the reproach of the daughters of Syria and all those around her and of the daughters of the Philistines who despise you everywhere. You have paid for your lewdness and your abomination, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, 
I will deal with you as you have done, who despise the oath by breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. And you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and younger sisters. For I will give them to you for daughters, not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed, and never open your mouth any more because of your shame, when I provide you an atonement for all you've done. Same way God would redeem them is how God has redeemed us. We want to walk in righteousness, not in sin. So we believe God, we obey Him, follow Him, and we keep our covenant to God faithful. Not like these. God is able, yes? to renew us and bring us back just as He was able to bring them. Just as He was able to atone for their failure, He's able to atone for ours. But here's what we do, guys. We just excuse it and keep going on the same road. And we can be so busy pointing at our sister Sodom or our sister Samaria and all their obvious failures that we forget. That's the same charge brought, God brought against the nation of Israel. Don't you see your sin? Don't you see where you've broken covenant with me? Man, don't let another minute pass without renewing that covenant. Without hearing the zeal of David, the zeal of Elijah, the zeal of Phineas. And realizing that's what God's calling us to. To love Him more. For He is my shield and my exceedingly great reward. Amen? Just stand with me. Let's just take a moment of prayer. I was thinking about stealing one of your songs, Fritzy, but I'm not going to do it. But let's um, let's just have some quiet time. We'll just do it ourselves, not with each other, and talk to God about where you're at with Him, really. And then let's get right, because we're going to talk in a few hours about walking in the Spirit, right? And we don't want that to be some bogus thing. We want that to be real, yeah? And in order to be real, we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering us, yes? That means we got to return. we got to repent. we got to return. we got to remember. The Bible says, if I cherish sin in my heart, God won't hear me. It also says, if we repent, confess, he will forgive.
Amen? So let's just spend some quiet time before the Lord. Just get that garbage off. i got to get it off of me too. So that we can be ready for what God has for us the rest of the weekend. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father God, <coughs> thank you for this time we can gather corporately as the body of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity we have, God, just to come before you in honesty. No pretending. I know I'm not a, have not always been that faithful wife. And I don't want to forget the days, God, when I was cast out and left for dead in a field. And you saw me there. And you came to me there. And you cared for me there. And you loved me when I was yet a sinner. You gave yourself for me. You clothed me and covered me. And God, I don't want to take those things and cast them before other gods. I don't want to lay them before my sin. I don't want to offer them before you. God, I want to honor you. I want to be David saying that the fire and love for God in my heart is so strong, I can't be quiet, I can't be silent. <coughs> I got to stand up and sound the trumpet. I got to I got to declare who you are to me. God, I don't want to be the husband who's ashamed of his wife who won't honor her in public. I want to be willing, God, to honor you everywhere I am. This is my God. This is my King. He is my reward. God, I just want to be right. I want to be renewed with you. So God, speak.